Well, good morning. My name is uh, Johnny. I'm the campus pastor here. It sounds like my batteries are working. So there you go, Sean. Some batteries are working this morning. Uh, if you're watching online, uh, I'm sorry. That's as good as I can do uh, up there. I just learned this morning how to run the, the controller for the video. So now you guys, I'm certified. So from now on, I'm always at the ready for that. Uh, so my family, uh, we have two dogs. We have um, Olive, who is a Jack Russell miniature poodle mix, a Jackapoo, if you will. Uh, she is about uh, eight pounds and has the bladder capacity of a fly, uh, approximately. Uh, and then we also have Max, who is a golden retriever, uh, full-size poodle mix, a, uh, a golden doodle, if you will. Uh, and uh, he is about 80 pounds and uh, lumbers around our house like a gigantic elephant. And if you're thinking uh, to yourself, it's crazy, why in the world do you have two dogs? Really, the only answer that I could give is my wife. Um, that's why, because she wanted the dogs, so now we have them. And look, I have to admit, when they're good dogs, I love them very much. When the dogs are good, the dogs are uh, a lovely part of our family. But the reality of our dogs is that usually uh, they're not good dogs. They don't like to be good dogs at all. Usually they're chewing pillows or leaving puddles that need to be cleaned up. And I find myself uh, very often thinking negative thoughts about the dogs, and apparently I've turned that into negative speech about the dogs. Um, so sometimes I tell my kids, hey, before you go to bed tonight, be sure to say goodbye to Olive, because she probably won't be here uh, in the morning when you wake up. Uh, but I think I've gone too far, because yesterday my son Abram, who's five, uh, he asked me why I'm always talking about how much I want to get rid of Olive. Uh, and so we got to talk about how daddy is kidding, and, and now I'll stop kidding around a little bit about that, um, because we love Olive, and she's part of our family, and we're not going to get rid of Olive. When, when you have an animal that belongs to you, right, you can't just uh, take them down and let them off their leash by the railroad track, even if you want to. Uh, you can't do that. Uh, and so we've talked about that as a family now. So this week we are, uh, we're continuing our series, Calling Together. It's our year-long series. We're going through the lectionary. And last week I said that if the book of Acts was in the lectionary, I was going to preach out of the book of Acts. And it took me exactly one week to be a lying liar. Uh, because today we are going to be in John chapter 10. Uh, and not because Acts is not a lot of fun uh, or a good story, but actually a lot of what happens in John chapter 10 is also kind of echoed in Acts. So in John chapter 10... Jesus is talking to a group of Pharisees uh, just after he has performed this miracle where he restores the sight. Well, not really restores the sight, but gives sight to a man who was born blind. So Jesus does this miracle for this man who was born blind, and then immediately the Pharisees pull this man up in front of kind of their council and begin to pepper him with questions. How is this possible? How did this happen? And he just keeps saying over and over, like, that Jesus healed me. Shouldn't we all be excited about this? But the Pharisees are not excited about this. They're very upset about this. And they pepper him with all these questions. They kick him out of the synagogue. It's this whole scene. And so Jesus now is talking to them after that whole situation has played itself out. And I think it's really interesting because if you read through the Gospels and then you read through the book of Acts, you'll see mirror images of things happening, right? There's this rhyming to Scripture that we talk about sometimes, and you see it in the life of Jesus and then the life of the early church. So last week we were in Acts chapter 3, and we saw Peter and John meet this man who was born lame, and they 
heal this man through the power of Jesus. It, it's a lot like Jesus' miracle hearing the man who was born blind. And just like with the man born blind, uh, the result of that was this council of the Pharisees show up and they put this man on trial and they want to know what Jesus is doing. The same thing happens to Peter and John. If we had been in Acts 4 today, we would have looked at them standing in front of the council of Pharisees being forced to give an account for what they had done. Uh, so these acts that should be uh, seen just as a kind thing and a good thing and an act of humanity, right? They become uh, something else to the Pharisees. And then there's a trial that happens. And so uh, in John chapter 10, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. And, and the, really the conversation boils down to, uh, are we going to be about the way things used to be, which is the status quo, which is what the Pharisees wanted and were pursuing more than anything, because in the way things used to be, they had the power, they had the control, or are we going to do things in a new way? And it's the same conversation that Peter and John had. This is why uh, something that looks like kindness, something that just looks like humanity, the healing of a blind man, can be seen as criminal in the eyes of the Pharisees. And I had examples, actually, of, of things that happen now uh, that should be seen as kind, uh, but are made criminal. And then I realized if I said any of them, you'd, you'd all send me emails about me being too political. But this is a reality, right? Like, there are real laws that are passed to stop people from being kind to other people, which seems bonkers, right? But the point is always this maintenance of the way things are, the maintenance of the status quo. And so Jesus now is talking to the Pharisees about this. But Jesus, being Jesus, takes a unique approach to the conversation, right? Jesus does not lay things out in the most linear, logical way, A plus B equals C. That's not how Jesus really talked to the Pharisees. It's not this like line-by-line -line defense of who he is and what he has come to do. Instead, he draws on a picture that is very common in Scripture. And it's actually the picture from the psalm that we just watched uh, the video for, Psalm 23. And it's the picture of a shepherd. So let's open up today to John chapter 10. Uh, and we're going to be in verses 11 through 18. And this is kind of the middle section of Jesus talking to the Pharisees. It's all kind of revolved around this idea of shepherding, right? And now these seven verses kind of maybe get to the heart of the thing. So Jesus says to them, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So right off the bat, Jesus highlights something that uh, Abram understands well in his five-year-old mind and, and informed me of last night, and that is 
uh, that when an animal belongs to you, you take care of it, right? Like you don't have the option to just run away. So Jesus draws this distinction between the shepherd and the hired hand. The hired hand, he says, is just going to run away when the wolf shows up because he doesn't actually care about the sheep. But Jesus says, I am the true shepherd. And so I would lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is answering and explaining these actions that he has just done in healing the blind man. When the shepherd sees their sheep in need, the shepherd moves to meet the need. So Jesus is saying, I, I saw this situation and I took care of this situation. This man is my sheep. This man who has been lying at the gate, this man who has been cut out of a lot of social uh, situations because of his disability for his whole life, to Jesus, that is one of the sheep. And so, instead of casting that man out, ignoring that man, walking the other direction away from that man, which all would have been kind of socially acceptable things to do, Jesus says, I'm going to move toward my sheep. That's what the good shepherd does. But then, Jesus, what Jesus is always doing is Jesus draws an even bigger picture. So Jesus explains this one event, but then draws a much larger picture. And in doing so, he's subtly drawing a distinction between the motives and the actions of the Pharisees and his own motives and actions. Because the Pharisees were leaders of people. They were supposed to be working as God's agents, or at least as people who best knew and understood God. And so they worked and they operated to lead and guide the people of Israel. But Jesus knew that even though they stood in a role that looked like shepherds, he knew that they weren't really interested in leading the people of God. He knew that they were interested in maintaining the status quo because maintaining the status quo meant maintaining their own power. Instead of being about the life of the people of God, the Pharisees were about keeping their own lives well arranged and comfortable. And if you go and read the book of John, you actually see this kind of leaking out in different kinds of places. The Pharisees are worried that if Jesus can just continue to talk, they say some things like, the whole world will follow him. What happens if the whole world follows Jesus? Well, they're not going to follow us anymore. And so their concern is not about the truth of God. Primarily their concern is about keeping their own lives well arranged and comfortable. And so Jesus points out, that's not what real shepherds do. Real shepherds will lay down their lives for their sheep. And the, the people listening, they don't realize yet that Jesus is actually talking about himself and pointing forward to a very real, very literal moment where he will lay down his life for the sheep. And there's actually a really kind of twisted irony in this passage because it will be the Pharisees who actually act as the wolves in the story. These people who are supposed to be shepherds will reveal themselves to be the wolves, and these wolves will show up, and Jesus will say, even though this means laying down my own life, I will do so for my sheep. In their efforts to stop Jesus from all of his shepherd talk, they will give Jesus the opportunity to most fully inhabit his identity as the shepherd by laying down his life. And through that laying down of his life, Jesus will also expand the flock out beyond the boundaries of who the Pharisees understood to be the people of God, who the Pharisees understood to be the sheep, who the Pharisees understood to be part of the umbrella of grace. Jesus is saying, I'll lay down my life, but not just 
for the sheep that you've been taking care of. I'm going to lay down my life for sheep that you can't even imagine being part of this flock. So here at the bridge, we have uh, a relationship with a couple different um, Congolese uh, organizations, organizations that help the Congolese, Congolese population uh, in the, uh, you know, Des Moines area. Uh, one of these uh, organizations is called iCoach. The guy who runs it is named Boaz. And, and a few years ago, Boaz gave me a call. He said, I've got a family. They're coming uh, to America. And, uh, you know, this is like they're stepping off the plane into America and starting a new life. Like, they've never been here before. They never. So this is like, you know, fresh. Uh, he said, they just need a little bit of help to get started. So uh, my family and I will put together, a, you know, a basket with some cleaning supplies, some food, some household items. You think to yourself, what would you need if you had nothing? Like, Let's put together a basket that's, you know, maybe can help with that. So we put it all together. And then my kids wanted to make these poster board signs uh, that were like, welcome, you know, to the United States. Uh, this all seems crazy now with COVID, right? But like, this was a thing that we did. So we went to the airport uh, with, you know, the basket and the signs and we waited for this family. And if you've been to the Des Moines airport, you know, there's the escalator it's so great because you come down the escalator and if there's people there for you, you know, it's, they're right there. And so we just stood there with all of our signs. It was my family and then like a bunch of Congolese people. Uh, so it's a lot of fun uh, to be there. And thinking about it now, I am not sure that my kids fully realized or understood what was happening. Uh, that's, that's a complicated thing to explain to kids, why, why you'd have to leave your country and come to a new country and people who don't have anything. My kids were born with everything, right? So they don't understand. Um, and also, I don't know that the family that we were welcoming really understood either. They'd been traveling for like 24 hours. They were completely shell-shocked. They were tired. There's a language barrier. Just, what, who are these, you know, white people showing up, you know, to welcome us? It, I'm sure it was very discombobulating, right, all the way around. And yet, even though we were all strangers, even though my kids had a limited understanding of what was going on, and this family was totally worn out and shell-shocked by everything they'd been through, in the past week or two, even though all of that was true, there was a very real sense of belonging that kind of permeated that time together. Even with the language barrier, even with the tiredness, even with the strangeness of that moment, we found ourselves with these people who we never met before, again, pre-COVID, taking pictures, hugging, laughing, sharing stories. It was really a beautiful and really unique kind of a time. We were celebrating this new beginning and new life for this family. On paper, we had nothing in common. We had no reason to be together. There's obviously lines between us, citizens and refugees, American and Congolese, middle class and, and poor, honestly. And yet, in that airport, it seemed like we were all there together. So smack dab in the middle of Jesus' speech to the Pharisees, he, he drops this line. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Of, of all the differences between the false shepherding of the Pharisees and the real shepherding of Jesus, this might be the starkest difference. The Pharisees were always, always, always trying to police us and them. 
The Pharisees were always in the business of deciding who was out, who was too far away to be considered in anymore, who had transgressed too much to be part of the family of God, who was too many sacrifices past due to be involved, right, in the family of God anymore. And those boundaries that they created, the us and them, the in and out, those boundaries were part of their maintenance of the well-ordered status quo. Without boundaries, they didn't have power. If they couldn't control what was happening inside of the boundaries, then they had no power in the situation anymore. But Jesus here says something radical. And honestly, it was, it was radical then, and it's still pretty radical now. Jesus says, beyond our well-ordered and well-maintained boundaries, beyond our us and them, beyond our conception of who is in and who is out, beyond all of that, there are people who belong to Jesus. Beyond our conception of who's the right religion, who said the right prayer, who does this, who does that, and I'm not saying who they are, but Jesus says there are other people out there. There are other people who belong to the family of God, who Paul later on in the epistles might call the chosen, right? Jesus says something that is pretty shocking. There are people outside of our us and them who are part of the family of God. And what Jesus wanted the Pharisees to see, but what they could not see, and what Jesus wants us to see, but we struggle so often to see, is that there are a lot of boundaries and a lot of divisions and a lot of delineations between us and them that we believe are part of God's plan, that we mentally have sanctified and made part of how God has ordered the world. But in reality, if we break it all the way down, we find out a lot of those are really just cultural assumptions. And when it's about a cultural assumption and not about God, is it really about the maintenance of the status quo? Is it really about control? Is it really about power? For Jesus, being the shepherd wasn't about maintaining power. He's very explicit about that. It's, it's explicitly about the giving up of power. To lay one's life down is the most powerless that one can be. And that's what Jesus says the shepherd does. It's not about maintaining power. It's not about control. It's about giving up power, giving up control, giving up your very life for the sake of drawing in others. That's what Jesus said he was about. The boundaries that the Pharisees worked so hard to maintain melted away in the presence of Jesus because Jesus recognizes sheep far beyond the boundaries that we look out and see. I think it's human nature to sanctify our culture, our personal stories, our senses of right and wrong, and turn those things into universal truth. And once we've done that, we create a boundary that must be tended to and maintained. It's human nature to create in-groups and out-groups, us's and thems. But Jesus came and showed us something different. In Jesus, God became human to make us a new way to be human. So that human nature no longer dictates the way that we are going to operate in the world. It may be human nature to draw boundaries, but Jesus calls us to ask questions about those boundaries. 
Jesus compels us to see with God's eyes and see people beyond our boundaries that belong to God, to do the work in our own hearts and in our own lives to break down those boundaries in the same way that Jesus did. And there's a reason for it. There's always a reason for it. In the verse right before we started reading, Jesus says, I have come so that they, that is those who Jesus has called, may have life and have it to the full. A fully abundant life. That's the promise and the gift of Jesus. The fullest, richest life. That's why, that's why we come and sit in this building is because we want to celebrate and remember and receive uh, uh, tangible, right, this reminders of this full and rich life that we have been blessed to have in Jesus. And part of the fullness of that life is the life that comes with and from other people. Part of the fullness of the life of Jesus is being part of the one flock with the one shepherd. People out beyond the boundaries that we maintain, beyond our control and our power and maintenance of the status quo. There is a fullness that we have access to. But it's a fullness that we can miss if we are like the Pharisees and become more worried about the boundaries than the work of God out beyond them. So when I, when I thought of the, the story about going to the airport, as my wife was helping me, I'm always like, Keela, I need a story. She's always helping me. When I thought about that story, I remembered something else that happened. It was like, it was just like a lightning bolt. Here in this room, another Congolese organization that we partner with called Gizubizo, uh, they hold um, kind of conferences here every once in a while. And I like to go to the conferences. They always invite me to speak. It's always very awkward uh, because it's like all this life and vibrancy. And then I kind of get up and I'm like, hey, everybody, I'm glad you're here. Like, get this guy out of here, right? But they're very kind. Um, and I was at this Gizubizo event here at the bridge. And we were cleaning up after and we were tearing everything down. And this kid comes up to me. I don't know, maybe 16, 17 years old. Congolese kid. And uh, he said, I know you. And I said that's cool, because I don't know you. Uh, like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, yeah, you saw me tonight. I was, on, I was the white guy on stage. Uh, and he's like, no, 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 I know you from before. He said, the, the first day that I was ever in America, you were there. Like, the, the day we landed, me and my family, like, the day we got off the plane, you were there. He was like, it was so awesome that you were there. It was so cool, it made me feel like everything was going to be okay now that we were here. And we hugged, it was right, right over there, we took a picture, and I just thought, what a, what a thing. I didn't do it, I mean, I went to the airport, you guys, it's, it's not, you don't have to be a saint to show up to the airport, right? But there's a million reasons not to go to the airport. There's, there's a million other things going on. There's a million reasons to say, well, I'm glad they're here and I gave some money to, you know, Lutheran services and, you know, that's great. But there's a million things standing between us and them. There's a million barriers. That's the reason I invite Gizobizo to come to this building is because I think it's part of what it means to have the fullness. So 
maybe this is disconnected, and I'm sorry if it is. Um, we're going to close with, with a song. We're going to close with the song Waymaker. And, and the song Waymaker is all about um, how Jesus makes the way for us through the problems in our lives, through, through the crises that we face. Jesus is the way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. I love it. It's a great song. I love it very much. And I got to thinking about this, and I got to thinking about the sheep of other pastors, and I thought, Jesus is the way maker for us, but also for all those other sheep. And now we get to be invited into helping find the other sheep. Like, we get to be part of inviting those other sheep into the flock. Not into our boundaries, not into our control, not into our power system or our version of the status quo, but into the, the enormity of the kingdom of God. What a gift to be able to join with Jesus in this transgressive, boundary-crossing love. So when you sing, sing about Jesus making a way for you, but maybe this can be a song for your heart about the invitation to make way for others. To push out the boundaries, push out the status quo, and embiggen the family of God through the power of Jesus Christ. Let's stand up. Let's sing together.